Hello, my name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, should the new King Charles III pay inheritance tax? The Duchy of Lancaster, which will be passed down to him from his mum, the Queen, is worth £652 million. And normally someone of Charles' wealth would have to pay 40% of that in tax. But he's the beneficiary of an exclusion introduced by the then Prime Minister John Major in 1993, which makes the monarchy exempt. We'll be hearing from Stephanie Brobby. Stephanie is the founder and chief executive of the Good Ancestor Movement, which supports wealthy individuals to redistribute their cash in a socially conscious way. And Simon Hill, who was arrested in Oxford recently after shouting... Who elected him at the proclamation of Charles' accession to the throne? Before that, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. It has the best of our online articles inside and plenty of other material that is exclusive to the print edition. No one tells us what to say. There's no millionaire backer or corporate interest pulling our strings. We are funded by ordinary subscribers people like you. So please subscribe, if you can, to the Byline Times. You'll get more details about subscriptions at our website, bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. And if you have already subscribed, thank you. Stephanie, then, first off, should Prince Charles be paying inheritance tax? Well, I mean, if you or I were to inherit from our parents... Ordinarily, we would be paying tax on 40% of anything exceeding £325,000. And, you know, as such, I don't think there's any reason why there should be this special treatment for the king. It's a really powerful example, I think, of the kind of two-tier tax system that we have in this country when it comes especially to, to taxing wealth. We see that the fact that he's managed to escape so far, paying inheritance tax on what he's inheriting from the late Queen is as a result of a political choice that was made. The exemption was granted by John Major back in 1993, according to a a memorandum of understanding. So a political choice was made to specifically exempt the monarchy from being exposed to an inheritance tax, when really it's no different to any other what a practitioner would call transfer of value, which should be caught by the inheritance tax rules. It's just the intervention of the government to protect the royal family. And we see this replicated across the tax system by the fact that the government is reluctant to tax the rich. And in another life, Stephanie, you were a tax lawyer, somebody who advised people on the tax loopholes that they could exploit to avoid paying all the tax that they might otherwise be due, perfectly legally, of course. This is the ultimate tax loophole, isn't it? I'm the king. Yeah, I mean, I practised for um, 10 years as a private wealth solicitor, and basically I I spent most of my time advising individuals and families, wealthy individuals and families, on kind of estate planning, succession planning, passing on assets to family members, whether during their lifetime or on death, and finding different ways to minimise capital tax, so inheritance tax and, and and capital gains tax, and became really troubled by that uh, kind of about halfway through my career, realising that I was coming into conflict with my own values because I really believe in the power of the state, that tax is not just about paying into the system, it's about 
payment plus democratic participation, you know, and and really ha- having a stake in society. But the, the system that I was part of, the private wealth industry, is really geared up towards culturally and practically, it's all geared up towards perpetuating the excessive accumulation of wealth, because that's the kind of the North Star. That's kind of how one sees that value is delivered in that context to clients because they're essentially paying you insofar as tax is concerned to find different ways to limit their exposure to inheritance tax or capital gains tax or a variety of other taxes. It really does highlight this sort of two-tier tax system that we have in the UK. How easy is it for wealthy people to employ people like you were in order to avoid paying tax, which us less wealthy mortals would have to pay? It's very easy because it comes down to a matter of, do you have the money to pay professional fees? And if you do, you can instruct someone and get them working on, you know, whatever matters you're interested in exploring, you know, very quickly. But are those loopholes out there? Is it easy, if you know how, to avoid paying all the tax that, as it were, an ordinary person would be paying? There's a bit of a spectrum, I suppose, from tax avoidance that is looking at maybe structuring specific transactions which come up incidentally in a in another just a a regular matter that a routine matter that has arisen for a particular client and then you're asked to maybe look at how you optimize for tax so find different ways to kind of reduce or limit limit the tax by using various reliefs or allowances which you wouldn't ordinarily you wouldn't necessarily know about if you know you're just an, an ordinary person but then there are more kind of aggressive approaches where someone will come to you with you know their sole instruction is like you know I want to make sure that I pay the least amount of tax possible then that can go all the way to you know instructing a QC to advise or you know give provide an opinion on particular loopholes in legislation and um, advising on certain tax schemes some of which HMRC is cracking down on, but there are still lots of, you know, I think when we think about loopholes, we tend to think of these aggressive tax schemes that have caught out people like Jimmy Carr and footballers and things, but there are lots of little grey areas and loopholes that tend to be exploited by professional advisors because that's their job, ultimately. Simon, when John Major introduced this exemption in 1993, he said the circumstances of the hereditary monarchy that we have in this country were unique, that special arrangements were required because otherwise the monarchy was at risk of being salami sliced away through inheritance tax and other taxes that are levied as each generation passes on. Yes, indeed. And I remember it. I was a teenager at the time and I remember discussing it with uh, with my friends when it was in the news. And John Major's language was all around reverence for the monarchy to the point when, when Dennis Skinner, the former Labour MP, criticised him in the Commons. He got quite angry and said it was only because it was Skinner's birthday that he hadn't been more um, more aggressive in his response. I think, though, he's he's right about one thing when he says that the circumstances of the monarchy are unique. And that is that is part of the problem, I think, that we allow this one family to behave in a way 
that many people would find morally repugnant if applied to anyone else. Certainly, as, as Stephanie was saying, if you're if you're very wealthy, it's fairly easy to pay somebody who will help you dodge tax. And I think that's something that, again, most people find to be wrong. But for this particular family, they don't need to employ somebody to help them dodge tax. The law allows them to. And in terms of John Major's statement that the monarchy could be salami sliced away, that's bizarre given the the wealth that the Windsor family have. The thing is, Charles Windsor is now one of the richest people in the world, and he could easily pay that inheritance tax and still be very, very wealthy. It's not like he'd pay it and then tomorrow he'd have to be living on baked beans on toast. He'd still be vastly more wealthy than the vast majority of people in the UK, even if he paid it. And I find it really worrying that because of this culture of reverence for the monarchy and a lack of questioning about the appointment of a new king, that this isn't even being treated as a a major controversial political issue. Mm. Although if he had to pay a significant tax bill, then presumably he would have to sell land and assets in order to pay that bill. Over time, that salami slicing that John Major refers to would presumably take effect. And perhaps if we've learned anything over the last few days, it's that whether you agree with it or not, the British public or a large proportion of it do seem to enjoy the the pomp and pageantry that go with monarchy and that perhaps they wouldn't really be comfortable with a king or a queen who lives in a council house. I don't think there's any danger of that happening soon. Yeah, I think we've seen in the last few days a lot of people understandably grieving for the previous monarch. And I I respect people's grief. I've never mocked people for that. I've never questioned or or disturbed acts of mourning. You can find places on the internet saying you have, but I haven't done that. How many people are keen on Charles as an individual rather than the mourning for Elizabeth or the general liking of some of the more ceremonial aspects remains to be seen. We'll see how popular he is in six months' time, in a year's time, whatever. But on this particular question, we don't really know how many people have a problem with him not paying tax because other than in spaces like this with the byline times, it's not not being treated as a a sort of headline issue. Parliament isn't going to debate it. There's literally laws restricting what people can say in the House of Commons about the monarchy. One of the problems is that this isn't being talked about, or this isn't being as freely talked about as it could be. Okay, I'll be honest, I'm a Republican, I don't believe in the monarchy, but I know plenty of people who believe in the monarchy, but would still have a problem with a very, very wealthy man not being expected to pay any tax. And it's a curious quirk of the royal institution, Stephanie, that Prince Charles also doesn't have to pay income tax. Now, the Queen voluntarily paid income tax, and our understanding is that Charles will continue to do that on a voluntary basis. How nice to be able to choose whether you pay income tax or not. I think you raise a really important point because quite apart from the quantum, and I just want to respond to something you were saying about paying inheritance tax on buildings and, you know, maybe not having, I think maybe you were 
alluding to the fact that there isn't sufficient liquidity, well, he seems to derive quite a substantial grant from the Crown Estate and from various other Crown assets. And ordinarily, you and I would have to pay the inheritance tax by instalments if we weren't able to readily kind of sell assets immediately to settle the tax bill. But I think this raises much more fundamental questions about legitimising extreme wealth and as being the kind of figurehead of the nation, particularly at this time where we've got a cost of living crisis, but also just the political choices that are being made in order to favour the rich. This kind of event won't happen very regularly. And I think it's really important to highlight the whole story about what's really going on with the monarchy and their role and to interrogate their role at this time. Yeah, the Duchy of Cornwall does generate personal income for Charles, on which he pays 45% income tax. But the Duchy doesn't pay corporation tax or capital gains tax. And it does act as a business. It has assets, it makes products. So some people have said that gives Prince Charles an unfair business advantage. You know, we think of money that is designed to perhaps uphold the pomp and the pageantry, but this goes beyond that. Just to reply specifically to what you were saying about income tax, I think there is a a real problem with this idea that we're accepting voluntary income tax contributions. Tax is tax. Tax is levied and it becomes due and we pay it. And I think it's it's quite worrying that we have this example of choosing voluntarily to pay income tax. I think it should be levied across the board in the same way as it is for ordinary citizens. On a recent Byline Times podcast, Simon, when we were talking to somebody else like you who found themselves briefly on the wrong side of the law for daring to question King Charles' accession, The issue was raised of our love in this country of passing on not only wealth, but power and influence down generations, whether it's the individual who owns the Daily Mail. You've got the power of the press being invested in one generation and then in another. You've got hereditary peerages. So it seems to be embedded in the fabric, part of the structure of power in this country, that not only money, but power itself is invested from one generation to another. I think you're absolutely right there. And one of my problems with the monarchy is actually how it sets the tone for the whole of society. So people sometimes say to me, well, you know, the monarch doesn't have much power. And on one level, that's true, although, you know, wars are declared in the name of the monarch and and so on. But the monarchy symbolizes and entrenches the idea of inequality. You know, the idea that one person bows down to another and calls him your majesty because of an accident of birth, I think says something quite unpleasant about society. Because as you as you say, a lot of other things are perhaps less tangibly less obviously inherited. Uh, so you know we see that those who have wealth and power mostly pass it on. In terms of power we know only 7% of the population are privately educated. And yet, if we look at top professions, such as cabinet ministers, judges, senior you know, editors of newspapers, I don't have the figures in front of me, although they're, they're easily findable. In those professions, quite often, getting on for a half of the people in them, and in some of them more than a half, are amongst the 7% 
that are privately educated, which suggests that we're seeing the few people at the top of society replicate themselves. People are, in effect, inheriting power and social status as well as wealth. And I think the the monarchy sets the tone for that. That in itself isn't really interrogated that much. You know, it's it, it's not really disputed. The facts of the case are not really disputed that, you know, 7% of people go to private schools, but say 49% of army officers are, are privately educated. Nobody's disputed the facts, and yet it's not really talked about as a as a big issue that this small percentage of, of wealthy people pass on so much power. Yeah, it's very, very clear that we have the link between the accumulation of wealth and power and how power is distributed or concentrated, as, as the case may be, is very clear. I think as a result of the media and how these things are represented and not discussed in public life means that there's a lack of consciousness around the redistribution of wealth and power in society. And that that's something that we need to see if we want to see fundamental change across our economy, our society and our political life. Somebody made a comment on a podcast recently that we want American style taxation, but European style public services. And For years, really since I was a kid, I can remember tabloid newspapers in particular, but also the political classes right and left being locked into a world of reducing income tax, of cutting taxes. Labour have played that game as much as the Conservatives. And I've never quite got the animus against taxation. Obviously, I don't want to have to pay more of my income than I have to, but I also recognise the taxation plays for roads, it pays for street lighting, it pays for the schools, the state schools that my children go to, it plays for swimming baths, it pays for public libraries, it pays for hospitals, it pays for so many of the things without which ordinary life could not function, and indeed without which business itself could not function. One of the, the common arguments I hear, you know, I, I work primarily with individuals and families who are advocating for higher taxes on themselves specifically because they want to see um, tax justice. But uh, one of the common rebuttals we receive is that, oh, well, you know, I don't trust the government. I don't want to, I don't want to give my money to the government. And again, it's a democratic issue, quite apart from the practical point that, that you've made that business couldn't operate without all of the functions that taxation pays for. But as a matter of principle, We've all agreed, well, most of us agree that we are paying into the system and we're holding our elected representatives to account. But I think that there's a complacency and a sense of laziness that people feel that they don't have to do the work of holding the state to account. I often say to you know entrepreneurs or wealthy people who come up with that excuse, you know, I say, well, when was the last time you made a donation to the Good Law Project? Well, when was the last time you made a freedom of information request? And it comes back to what I was saying about tax being the payment of tax plus democratic participation. This whole question, the way the debate is framed, we hear discussion in the media about higher taxes or lower taxes as if that's all it was. Whereas surely in any tax debate, when we talk about higher or lower taxes, the two questions are who's paying the taxes and what are the taxes paying for? As you say, tax pays for for schools and roads and hospitals. Liz Truss wants to increase military spending by 60%. Now, that's not what I want to pay tax for, 
at the time of a cost of living crisis. But I don't have any choice about what tax I pay. Most people don't have any choice because we can't afford to employ people, lawyers or accountants or whatever, who advise us on how to dodge tax effectively. So I completely agree with Stephanie's point about democratic participation. We need a system whereby the rich cannot dodge tax, but we also need a much greater sense of democracy, much more democratic participation in everyday life, so that we have much more say over the way public spending is is used in the first place, and so that we do have some influence collectively on where our tax goes. Stephanie, if Prince Charles came to you and said, look, I feel really bad about not paying inheritance tax. I want some help in terms of how I can redistribute an equivalent amount to good, socially regenerative causes. Where would you tell him to go? I would tell him to go to his desk drawer and get his checkbook out and write a cheque to HM Revenue and Customs for £148 million, which would be the tax that we estimate is payable, the inheritance tax we estimate is payable on what he's inherited from the Queen's private estate. Stephanie Brobby, thank you very much indeed. Thank you also to Simon Hill. Simon, just to clarify, you were arrested, but you're not being prosecuted for shouting out who elected him. Well, as far as I know, I'm not, though I could I could still be called back and charged, technically. Although I was released, the police seemed very unclear of the legal basis for my arrest. So I would say it's not me who was on the wrong side of the law. It's probably the police, which is why I'm, I'll be speaking to a lawyer about a claim for unlawful arrest. Simon, thank you very much indeed thank as well. Much. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been the Byline Times podcast, funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. Do check it out. Get details on how to subscribe. Go on, Simon. I thought you were saying something then. Uh, no, well, no, I was just yeah. I was just expressing my uh, enthusiasm for the Byline Times, which uh, which I enjoy <laughs> reading. That sounds a bit sycophantic, given I'm on your podcast. But I uh, I was just nodding in uh, in support. <laughs> Not at all. Thank you for the endorsement. <laughs> Do check out our website, bylinetimes.com. That's where you'll find details of how to subscribe and the money that we raise through your subscriptions pays for our wonderful investigative journalism and for this podcast as well. So thank you. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye. <laughs>